Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast for this very special post-Iowa caucus edition of the podcast with Bill Crystal And Bill, let's say the first things first. So glad something finally happened. This campaign has been going on for what, 25 years it feels like? I was a kid in elementary school when they started this race. It's great to have votes. Um, it really makes you feel like, hey, it's a democracy. People vote. The polls don't, don't decide. The pundits don't decide. And it's really great when the voters... Uh, cross up the polls and cross up the pundits, isn't it? It was fantastic. I I know I'm breathing a huge sigh of relief. I broke into my single malt Irish whiskey to celebrate tonight because no matter how you slice it, there's a word to describe people who did what Donald Trump did tonight, and it starts with an L. He loves to <laughs> use it, loser. It's a little unfair, obviously. But, you know, If he hadn't been heading all those polls, people would say, well, pretty good, a quarter of the vote in Iowa, not a maybe a naturally good state for Trump and a caucus state. But I do think uh, he obviously is a loser, A. He was ahead in the polls. The fact that he closed poorly, some of that was a tactical decision, I think, to skip the debate. I, on that one, I think I was right. I think we both thought that it was it was a mistake that a lot of other people, oh, no, it was very smart of him, and it looked like from the polls that maybe it was smart of him. I think ultimately that was a mistake. But at the end of the day, the late deciders were not for Trump. I think a lot of people shied away from Trump as they got serious about voting as opposed to, you know, talking to pollsters. Now, he's still got a quarter of the vote, and, you know, he's going to get a lot of votes probably in the next few states. But just to, to show that he's vulnerable, I think, was very important. But it is funny. Everyone's leading with Trump. We just did. you got to give Ted Cruz credit. I mean, he, 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 he hung on there to win. In a, in a, he had had been ahead. He had dropped behind. You run campaigns. You know how that feels, and you know how tough it is then to come back and go back ahead. It really is. A, it shows a kind of toughness, not just to him, but I think to his campaign, maybe to his message though, and to his appeal, that a lot of people in D.C. underrate. He was able to gut it out and uh, come through with a strong showing, and obviously Rubio surging at the end and getting into the low 20s. It looks like third place, just behind Trump, but close to Trump. Um, Sure looks like a three-way race, you know. Let me make a really obvious point. There are three <laughs> candidates in the 20s, and no one else is above, I guess, Ben Carson's around nine, and then everyone else is below four, I think, you know. you got to think all that vote for Bush and Kasich and those guys in New Hampshire starts to go away when people look at those results, and we settle in for what I guess will be a three-way race that will go on quite a while when you sort of think about how the vote will get divided most likely in the next bunch of states that vote. And uh, before we get to the tactics on that, though, I want to revisit the Trump thing because I think there, uh, I think it's going to be more profound that he didn't win for his supporters because they mm-hmm. honestly see him as just a, you know he wins because he wins the argument. Uh, you had all of the advantages, like you mentioned, eleven polls in a row. He was in the lead. You had a huge turnout, record-setting turnout that was supposed to help Trump. You know, lines of people registering to participate in the uh, uh, in the uh, caucus, you know, first timers, supposed to help Trump. In other words, the storyline that Team Trump s- said they wanted and that the pundits said he needed, he got it. And he it wasn't just that he didn't win; he barely eked out over Marco Rubio. He's within uh, two thousand votes of Rubio. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'm a little nervous. About, I mean, I've. I, so many of us have said for so long that, you know, the Trump bubble is going to burst, and I think that turned out to be a bad metaphor. I'm a little nervous about saying just because he loses by four points or three points that he's going to sort of, it's going to start to evaporate. But I, I do think his support is so unusual. He's just such an unusual candidate. We don't have a lot of examples of a Trump-like person running to the, you know, going to the lead the way he did, holding it for six months. 
uh, how much does losing affect his support? I mean, we'll look at New Hampshire polls in three or four days and, and you start to get a sense of that. But I agree. If you had to ask me to bet right now on how I think it will be a three-way race for a while, but, but I uh, three-way race for a while, but I, I think more likely than not we end up with a Cruz-Rubio two-way race. I kind of don't think Trump has quite as good a chance as either of them of being there ultimately, ultimately at the end. But, you know, maybe Cruz he gave a kind of a gracious concession speech and maybe he'll win, win New Hampshire by 15 points and suddenly we'll be, we'll, 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 it'll look different. But it sure does look like a three-way. None of these three, pretty hard to believe that any of these three gets knocked out any time this month. They all go to March 1st when there are 12 states voting, which is proportional representation. You've got to think they all win a fair number of delegates maybe on that date, and then, then March 15th. So I think we're now looking at a real race for six weeks. And look, that dynamic could be different from what we expect, and especially I think Trump could – you're right. I mean, Trump is the big question. How does right. Trump do in a real race where he didn't win the first one, where they're slugging at each other, where it's not a phenomenon anymore? It's just a race with three candidates. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm looking forward to seeing. Before we look at where you think, and I thought you had a great analogy uh, in a, the, our last podcast about this is kind of like a pool table. And we now the you know the, it's we had the break shot, and so now the balls are all hitting each other. Let's look over on the Democratic table where uh, it's going to be a tie. I think is the way I look at it. I know that uh, I was just listening to some uh, an analysts on cable news it, that it matters if it's. for Hillary or 49.6 for Bernie Sanders. Do you agree that that matters or isn't the message going to be that Bernie Sanders fought the prohibitive front runner to a tie in a state that she was supposed to win? Yeah, I think that's the message. I I heard someone say that about, oh, win is a win. That's just nonsense, especially when it's, uh, you know, it's 50-50 really and, and it's proportional representation. So Hillary gets one or two more delegates. And when Bernie Sanders is ahead by, right now, at least 15, 20 points in New Hampshire, maybe that won't hold. I imagine it might narrow some. But if he then wins New Hampshire, and probably by more, that Hillary Clinton looks like she's going to win Iowa, assuming she hangs on to him by less than half a percentage point, uh, then Sanders will you know, have had more, won more votes in the first two primaries. Uh, will have more delegates, for that matter, after New Hampshire than Hillary Clinton. Now, that doesn't mean that you know Hillary Clinton doesn't have advantages in some of the states coming up, and you probably would bet on her to be the nominee still, but it's a pretty stunning development. I mean, Trump is a pretty amazing phenomenon, but if you look at the overall Republican vote, right. it's not you know wildly surprising that there'd be a conservative like Cruz and you know just short of 30 and a more you know center-right conservative like Rubio in the low 20s and so forth. Whereas the idea that Bernie Sanders is getting half the Democratic vote in Iowa and looks likely to get more than half in New Hampshire is really jaw-dropping. It, it truly is. Although, let's be honest, Hillary Clinton is still waiting for a report from the uh, FBI director's office precinct, the all-important the precinct in this race. <laughs> I mean, I talked to someone today who served in the State Department. I, I, it is not out of the question that Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted. I mean, what happens if... They slug it out for six weeks, and there's an indictment of Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. I mean, I think both races could be just unlike anything we've really seen in our adult <laughs> lifetime. The Republican race, the three-way, if it really stays three-way, going deep into the primaries, we've never really had that. We've had two-way races like Obama, uh, Clinton, or Reagan Ford that have gone very, you know, a long time. We haven't really had a race where you consistently get a kind of 30-30-30 mm-hmm. split, but I don't really see why you couldn't in this case. Right. Maybe Trump fades, but maybe not. 
on the Republican side, and then the Democratic side, the Democratic Socialists getting half the vote, 74-year-old Democratic Socialist against Hillary Clinton. I mean, and also what is it going to look like over weeks and months right. when we have, especially if Trump fades, two 45-year-old Cuban-Americans on the Republican side and a 68-year-old and a 74-year-old on the Democratic side. Which party is the party of the future? Well, I uh, I look forward to the endorsements they each get from the Rascal Company as they're riding around <laughs> in their on their vehicles. But think, you know, one of the things to keep in mind, uh, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, which is kind of considered ground zero for the SEC primary. But you look at the states, Massachusetts votes that same day. There's several northern states where uh, Bernie Sanders is, can do well. You could have a situation where on March 1st, Bernie Sanders gets a bunch of delegates. Hillary Clinton gets more delegates, but it's not, you know what I'm saying? It's not, uh, you know, winner takes all. It's not, you know, he's not stopped. And then he says, look at these states in front of me. I'm going to win delegates here in these liberal, you know, east and west coast states. I'm going to take this thing to the convention. I think I can win it. And there won't, you won't be able to say, no, 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 the, the delegates just aren't there. The super delegates are Hillary Clinton's saving grace. That's it. Unless they look like there's an indictment, in which case right. super delegates have start having you know, hurried meetings mm-hmm. and frantic conference calls, and some of them probably with people in the White House, and then there's talk about Joe Biden. I mean, it could be <laughs> it could be crazy in both in both parties, right. and uh, the Republican side, if you have a three-way going on for a long time, you know, it may not be obvious that someone's going to get 50 percent of the vote before the convention. And on the Democratic side, two-way, by definition, one of them should get more than 50% of the vote, but it could be pretty close, and and then there could be this incredible wild card of a possible indictment. I thought it was interesting that tonight both uh, Donald Trump and uh, Marco Rubio went out of their way to praise uh, Huckabee, Governor Huckabee, uh, who's who's announced that he's suspending his campaign, and that's just interesting to me. He's at two percent. You know, I just I, I I wonder if that's really where this race is going to come down to is the Huckabee people. I'm thinking more of uh, Marco Rubio. Can he keep his momentum going to do well enough in New Hampshire to not let a Chris Christie or John Kasich essentially steal his thunder to throw him out of his lane, to use the metaphor we're all using now, and to and turn this back into a four- or five-way race? Yeah, I think he probably can. I, I don't know. New Hampshire often rebels against Iowa, so mm-hmm. they don't like to follow Iowa's lead. But I just got to think if you're a Bush or Kasich supporter, you look at these results, you think, I mean, no one ever has won a nomination who started off at 2% in <laughs> Iowa, I don't believe, uh, unless there was like an Iowa favorite son or something and people didn't compete at all. But So uh, I just think maybe those votes do go to Rubio. But I do think, to return to a theme we touched on earlier, I think sort of the impact of Cruz's victory is being a little underrated by the uh, people I've seen, at least on TV and, and some of them on, uh, uh, you know, in, uh, in various mm-hmm. blogs and, and on Twitter. I mean, I, I don't agree that it's a big deal for Hillary to beat Bernie Sanders by 0.3% or something. That's quite the opposite. That's really pathetic. But Cruz was behind in the last, what was it, 11, 11. polls. He wins pretty cleanly, not a blowout, but you know, right. he wins by 3% or so. I mean, that, that's going to have an effect in Iowa, in New Hampshire. And what if Cruz runs even just second in New Hampshire? Suddenly, if you're first in Iowa, second in New Hampshire, going to South Carolina, a state that's not a bad thing right. for him with the SEC primary. I think, I think the, the people in D.C. want Rubio. Um, a lot of people have sort of invested in the Trump phenomenon because it's, you know, uh, superficially exciting. I suspect that the three of them, the impact of Cruz's showing tonight is being a little bit underrated.
I, I'm underrating it because I just can't get over Trump lost. I'm so happy yeah. that Trump well, lost. Like, after, look, I, I, I was so worried. I mean, yeah, I, too, I was tweeting about how I was going to have to break in the minibar, you know, with the bottles <laughs> and for me tonight here in this hotel room I'm in. And, and how much do they charge for those little bottles? Crazy. I'm not a big minibar user. I think kind of, yeah, and, and now here I haven't even touched it, and I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> I go to sleep cheerful. So that, that, that's, uh, that, that's not nothing, you know. Absolutely. We're talking to you about this after we see how these balls rattle around the billiard table the next couple of days before New Hampshire. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.